Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's episode, meet Dr. Ian Smith, a zoo veterinarian at the Adelaide Zoo. I had yet to meet Ian again as in August 2011 in my final year of vet school as one of my electives, I did a zoo placement at Adelaide Zoo, shadowing Ian for a month. It was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. So many amazing memories. To name a few, we did dental work on the kangaroos, ultrasounded a panda, vaccinated the sea lions, x-rayed a chimp's arm. It really opened my eyes to a whole new world, which I certainly found inspiring. Let's find out what busy Ian and the Adelaide Zoo are currently up to and how zoos play a role in conservation. Hi, um, Dr. Ian, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, I just basically want to ask first off, you know, what is your background as a zoo veterinarian? Well, I've been a zoo vet um, based at Zoo South Australia for the last 15, 16 years, mm. um, mainly at, at Monato, which is our open range site. Uh, for the first maybe six years, and then lately the last eight years or so, uh, based through Adelaide Zoo, but mm-hmm. working still across both sites. Okay, yeah, lovely. Um, so when I was here about seven and a half years ago doing a placement, you would have been just recently placed here? I, I certainly, from about 2006, I started doing at least one day a week here. Okay, yes. And then from about 2010, I became the senior yeah. vet. And so it's, it's oh, lovely. There. So you're the senior vet here on site yes. at Adelaide Zoo. Right. Yeah, wonderful. Um, just want to say a big thank you to many years ago when I had a great time here. I remember I had to keep a daily diary of what we got up to. Yeah, we, we, do, we make all the students do that. It gives them yeah. a chance to sort of, you know, review what they've done. Yeah. It also helps to jog the memory when I actually go to write the student reports. Got uh, you, yeah. And, and one of the sort of the, the aims of that, and I always say this to the students, is you know, we might even use that to cherry pick some blogs out mm. to sort of put on our, our web. Yeah, absolutely. Because there were so many amazing stories that came out of it. Um, I remember we did a um, mandrel dental on a mandrel monkey, yeah. um, and the routine dentals of the ruse. And there was a chimp at Monato we went to that had a broken arm. Yeah. We had to X-ray um, and doing autopsies on the guinea pigs that made may fall ill and die to look there's there's animals coming in and out of the collection all the time yeah you know, where, there's, where there's live ones there's always going to be dead ones exactly well. yeah so it was um i think a very thorough um sort of background view of what goes on um vaccinating the sea lions it was all we fabulous have, we have lots of students you know you see one at each site every week do you? Know? you so we've yeah. got sort of you know two running at the moment across both sites oh really good lovely um so as a zoo veterinarian what do you do what's your day in day out well, being a senior vet, I'm, I, I do get distracted by a lot of uh, non-clinical work, so I'm doing the paperwork and the staff, yes. you know, all the staff stuff that goes with that. Um, we try and bias a lot of our clinical stuff into the mornings, mm-hmm. so give the animals a, a best chance to recover before they sort of then uh, are released back to the enclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so, so today's, for example, we had um, a couple of birds come in uh, last night, so we held, held them overnight to do some beak trims, so they had full... Um, anaesthetics, x-rays, blood mm. samples, and then their beaks were trimmed because they hadn't been 
health check for quite a long time. We, we take yes. every opportunity to take as many samples as we can because okay. you can never go back and get those samples. And it's, yep. even if you don't analyse it now, it might be in the future you say, well, I've got this sample from this bird. It says this, but well, what does that really mean? Because we've never really seen yeah. you know, that species of bird. There's not enough samples or results from those that species of bird to actually give us an indication of what those mean. Okay. So we can go back and compare it to one that's two years old from mm-hmm. that same bird. You know, we've mm. almost got a sort of a norm. We can see which way things are trending and mm. see whether the liver's going downhill or the kidneys are going downhill. So you've got a great catalogue to yeah. kind of learn yeah. and look back So on. we did a couple of birds, and then we've had... Mm. Lately, we've had then, since then about uh, 10 wallabies come in, and they've been just doing the general health check. So looking at teeth, taking bloods, doing x-rays. Great, yes. Um, but I've got called away to a meeting for the last hour or so. Yes. So, so I've got that. Yes. Um, and then after lunch, I've got another meeting for working through budgets as right. well as sort of you know trying to write up on my histories from this morning. Right, so it's quite thorough, isn't yeah, it? It does sort of you know fill my day quite easily. Yeah, definitely. And I guess um there's a lot of accreditations and you know to be qualified in as a certain quality zoo. Uh yes, we've we've recently I think in the last year or so uh, we've gone through accreditation. So there's the Zoo and Aquarium Association, which is the Australian um, you know zoo club. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, accreditation every three to five years yep. and we've just gone through the latest round and the latest round was very much focused on animal welfare mm. uh, and there was a, quite a lot of documentation that needed to go with that sort of accreditation. Yeah, and, I bet, I bet. And we passed quite easily, so I was quite happy about that. Mm. So it's very varied. I guess you've got your clinical side and then your desk side of the of the job. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's, even the clinical side still has a lot of desk side about it because there's a lot yeah. of sort of... Uh, research or literature review you need to actually do or consult different people. Yeah, a new question, a new challenge. Yep, yep. And I guess, do you find that the zoo club, I guess internationally, is there? Like you can ask others for advice? I think, you know, the the zoo world is small enough that uh, your peers are never far away. Yeah. Um, Whether it's the, the Australian peers, yeah, so within the, the ZAA, mm. uh, there is a thing called a vet SAG, so a special interest group. Okay, where yes. Where just has vets in there, and we, we consult widely amongst ourselves. Even on a, you know, we, we know, I can phone up, you know, Taronga or Melbourne Zoo or Werribee Zoo and, yeah. and talk to their vets directly because I've yeah. got a, a personal connection with them as well. That's so nice. You kind of have your phone of friends yeah. and uh, they uh, probably feel the same about you for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure thing. And then there's... Um, then there's the wider sort of, you know, zoo-wide community. So if you're a member of, say, the, the American Association of Zoo Vets, which is one of the, you know, the default uh, memberships that, that zoo vets get, that mm. sort of, you know, gives you a journal and stuff like that. Uh, if you're a member of those, there's, there's whole forums that go through that as well. So you can be asking questions to, to people in Africa or in, in, in mm. Europe or America. Yeah. And you'll, you'll get answers, you know, yeah. without, without sort of... Um, too much trouble. Brilliant, brilliant. And it sounds like a lot of the clinical work you do here is more on the emphasis on preventative medicine. And look, it's always better to prevent a problem yeah, than agreed. not. Yeah, agreed. But, but, you know, sometimes you might get, you know, say you've got a, a limp in a certain animal, you know, that might prompt you to actually sort of update its preventive health. You know, okay. You might know if, um, if you had a sort of, you know, did a, a, ch- a check sort of two weeks before that limp developed, you might not have seen that limp. Yes. So it, it's sometimes you get those prompts to say, well, mm. it's... it's its health check is due in a, a week you know, or two mm-hmm. weeks. Maybe we'll just bring it forward. We'll do it now because yep. we have a, a clinical problem with that animal. But yeah. by and large, we do try and have animals on, on um, 
a rotating sort of agenda yes. about sort of when they get their health checks. Yeah, always always busy because you've got to get through quite a lot. How many animals are here on site, roughly? Well, I guess it's hard on site. To... I think we've got about two thousand here. Yeah. And there's about six hundred at Monato. Right. Uh, yeah. But the Monato ones are that much bigger. You know, so yes. there's giraffes and rhinos up there. Yeah. You know, we've got a couple of giraffes here, and and for some of those bigger animals or. The animals are more difficult to, to examine. Mm-hmm. It might be the, the health check on those is more a visual one. Mm-hmm. Or we've trained it to such an extent that we can actually just take a blood sample and, and sort of do things yeah. without giving a full anaesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw the um, panda chat and, you know, how yeah. they're trained to um, extend their arm for blood taking and things like this. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Because I do remember the challenge um, more so than your domestic animal vet is handling them you know getting them to the table um but i always remember it being very um stress-free and pretty um like the ruse um the management and handling of them was we try sick. and sort of yeah. you know habituate certain animals and, and, yeah and by and large you know a lot of our Yellowfoot used to be involved in a, a fairly intensive breeding program. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Yellowfoot yeah. wallaby. Yeah, with cross fostering and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is a, a reproductive acceleration technique that we can utilise in, in wallabies. Yeah. Um, they used to be, you know, a part of that uh, program. And to get them to the point where they don't become stressed, you know, we've ra- hand-raised quite a lot of animals. Mm. So they become habituated to that sort of constant handling, yep. you know, picking up, putting in bags, checking the pouch, and then letting them go. They, they know that's, you know, not so much a problem. Yeah. A lot of the, the wildlife species, they are very prone to stress, though. Mm. So that's why we tend to give them a lot of anaesthetics before yes. we do the exams. Yeah. You know, so... Um, we do the anaesthetics for to minimise the stress. You know, yeah. Uh, whether it's you know we're using you know gas anaesthetics, you know purely we might put the animal in a box and let it just drift off, mm-hmm. or we put uh, you know we use a mask and put it on the animal's face and let mm-hmm. it sort of drift off that way, or we use injectable stuff. Yeah. Um, like a little blow dart with something certainly, in it. Certainly remote delivery, like you know with, yeah. with a dart. Uh, sometimes Soft you landing. Hand inject. Take them in. And, you know, yes. You're not actually handling the animal to actually get that dart in. Yeah. Yes, they might feel a little bit of pain when actually the injection goes in or the impact of the dart, but yes. they, they soon sort of drift off. And, and and by and large, a lot of the anaesthetics we use in sort of the injectable stuff is reversible. So if, mm. we, if we get the weight wrong and we've grossly underestimated it mm. or grossly overestimated it, we can actually adjust that quite mm. quickly either What way. do you use out of interest? Do you use the Domitor to reverse? Yeah, yeah or? so, so yeah. well, metatomidine and adipamazole, they're out yeah. Metatomidine is one of our mainstays. Okay. We use a lot of ketamine. Uh-huh, yes. um, I don't want to necessarily give a recipe for it. I know, I know. <laughs> exactly. A bit, a bit of vet chat there. So um, what are the current projects that Adelaide Zoo is up to or any new developments? Also, um, maybe explain that there's also the Monato Zoo, yeah. the big plains Yeah, so, so we've got two zoos. We've got our city zoo, which is Adelaide Zoo. And and it's basically the smallest major zoo in Australia. It's, oh, it's we've only got eight hectares in size. It's beautiful here. It's though. It's so green off. and lush. It is a you know it's a, it's a green city oasis. Yeah. Um, so we 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 have that, and then at Monato we've got uh, 1,500 hectares. So it's our biggest Australia zoo. Mm. Um, and it's sort of more open range. There's you know our our lion exhibit for example is t- is bigger than Adelaide Zoo. Right. Yeah, Whoa! So, is so, it? So there's lots of space for animals oh, out wow. there. And you know, you do. In, in animals in captivity, you know, f- to enrich their lives, you know, you, you have to sort of provide things for them. Yeah. And and space is one of those things we can provide automatically at Monato. Yeah. We have to work that much harder at Adelaide Zoo in the, the smaller enclosures. Yeah. But we also have smaller animals here as well. Yes. So they're more suited to that sort of city environment. Yeah. 
Um, some of the big projects, we've certainly got, um, you know, our master plan that we're sort of working towards. So walking around the zoo, there's a, you know, in the last sort of, you know, few years, there's been a new sort of, you know, children's area. Uh-huh. And that's about to be expanded um, to a, uh, we're changing where our kids zoo is and our sort of some of our native areas are sort of next to the kids, uh, next mm-hmm. to the children's playground. Um, so that's that's due to start in the next few months. And the children's zoo is where they can handle smaller animals, or what makes it the children's? The children's zoo. So some of some domestic species, you yes. know, so rabbits and guinea pigs and goats and yes. and chickens and stuff like that. Um, because certainly everyone loves animals. You yeah. Know, as you uh, get older, you become a bit more sophisticated, and you can see the difference between animals. But uh, yeah. you know, little kids, you know, their eyes just light up with a goat. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's or, true. Or a, or a baby <laughs> chicken, and you yeah. know, you might say you show them the panda, but they think about just the chicken at the end of the day when yeah. you're sort of three or four years old. Yeah. What was your favourite? <laughs> the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they might have actually, you know, got to hold that chicken. Or, yeah. You know, the chicken so it's almost like a bit of a petting zoo, like yeah. supervised, and yeah. yeah, they can have more of a one-on-one yeah. interaction. Okay, so you can expand that area. I guess what's interesting is that I feel that zoos in general are always sort of growing and morphing and you know changing. Yeah, you've always got to sort of you know. You've always got to upgrade things to yeah. sort of keep them current to the, the current standards. Yes. Um, and and so the new children's zoo focus down there. That's 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 our next step at Adelaide Zoo. Okay. Lovely. Out of Monato, we've um, we've recently built a what's called a we call it Lions 360. So mm, instead, you, instead of the lions this. being in a cage, you know the the people actually arrive and go in the cage within the lions. I love that and idea. The lions sort of surround you. Yeah. In there, so. That came on online probably about a year ago, and that's that's been very popular. Has it? I bet, yeah. Um, we're developing sort of a 500 hectare site right next to Monato, yeah. Which is going to be even bigger enclosures, you know, enclosure you can't see the end of because it's sort of oh. you know over the hill and around the the tree line. And, oh wow! Yeah. Um, so that's a, a big sort of development on the horizon at Monato. Yes. And a new visitor centre actually sort of you know we're scoping through that sort of thing. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Oh, fabulous! That sounds really good, and so. What do you think, um, are there vets that may be aspiring to get into this field? Um, do you have any advice for them? Well, I think... I mean, what was your own story to get well, as my, a zoo vet? My story is I, I always want to be... A, well, I don't, didn't always want to be a zoo vet. I always want to be an astronaut. <laughs> but um, I read a book when I was a kid, when yes. I was about uh, 14 years old, called Zoo Vet. Yes. And it was just on my, my grandparents' uh, bookshelf. And, and this show came on TV... There was a dramatization of the book, and yeah. my grandma said, "Oh, if you like the the show, read the book." Mm. He used to be our vet. Oh wow! So here in Adelaide, which is no, this was in this was in Manchester. Oh, back in England. Back in England, <laughs> right? Um, so I always had the back of my mind actually, you know, zoo vet would be a good thing. So when my astronaut career started falling apart, <laughs> um, I wanted, I then sort of looked up being a vet. So all the way through vet school, I wanted to be a, a zoo vet. But it's, it's extremely hard to get that first position. Yeah, I bet. You know, and I, I, I was beginning to think that it might have been easier being an astronaut than being a zoo vet. Yeah, So at one point. <laughs> but eventually, you know, I think, you know, I sat down and thought, you know, how are you going to be a zoo vet? You know, you've got to either be, be lucky, be yeah. in the right place at the right time. You've got to yeah. know people. You've got to be rich so you can buy your own zoo. <laughs> um, or you've got to get more experience, you know, yeah. whether that experience is through... Um, academic experience or you know practical experience by volunteering so yes so I went down the more experienced path and I, I ended up doing my my master's in in wild animal health mm. um, 
I did that in the in the UK. In the UK, okay. Um, um, so you did vet school in the UK? No, I did vet school in Australia. Uh-huh, so I did okay. it in Melbourne, and yes. then I, you know, I went initially. I went back to the UK to um, to do some more training in memberships, like Quinlan memberships. Mm-hmm. So the first step of specialisation. Yes. And to to do that you really need to actually be working in a, in a practice yep. that does the work you want to specialise in. Okay. And the the chance of getting paid work in Australia is quite sort of low in, in the wildlife area. Mm. So I went back to the UK where there's a lot more exotic pets, there's a lot mm. more, you know, you know, small fluffies and reptiles and birds right, in yes. pirate hands. So you see a lot more of those through practice in the UK. Mm-hmm. I went over there to do that and I didn't get a, a a job straight away I ended up sort of thinking well maybe I'll just do the, the master's course mm-hmm. so I did my master's course and came out of that it, it probably gets you closer to the front of the queue mm-hmm. it won't necessarily get you that job yeah yeah and then I did my I had my own business yep called Zoovet and ah. I used to deal with uh, wildlife parks in Victoria and I used to work in an exotic practice in Victoria ah, as well okay. before I sort of got the job at Monado. Bit of a segue, yeah, yeah. Because what's so cool is that we're here in this big, well, Adelaide's a beautiful city, but it is a city. It doesn't feel like it all the time, but yeah. yet you can handle all these exotic animals from around the world, yet yeah. you can live and have a family yeah. life in yeah. a city. Yeah. Um, it's quite an amazing combo. Yep. So my recommendation is, you know, you've got to look where you can get the experience. Yes. And, and sometimes, you know, it might be volunteering, yeah. You know, to sort of get yourself some experience. It might be sort of further training to get yes. you that experience. Um, as far as looking at that sort of um, being at the right place or knowing people, you know, get involved in some of the, um, you know, the associations that are going to help yeah. you. Like go along to things like the Wildlife Disease Association Conference and you'll meet zoo vets. Mm. And, you know, when you're a student, you know, do mm. placements up there. They'll remember your name. You know, yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll build up to the perfect storm and eventually yeah. get that job. Yeah, and, no, I and, think that's great advice. And the job that I got first, it it wasn't a full time job. It was a mm. was a, a short term contract. Yep. You've got to sort of take that first and then yep. build up on there. Foot in the door. Yeah. Yep. Think long term. <laughs> yeah. And and for me, the the thing that got me that far was having a supporting partner. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, she was, you know, happy and supported that transient lifestyle to actually sort of get to the point where. Yeah, you get that that's a big part, isn't it? Out. Yeah, because otherwise, um. I guess partnerships about compromise. So, and if you have that kind of job that comes with a certain lifestyle, yeah. yeah, you want that support. So that's that's good. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I remember my my wife used to always say, friends with hers would say, "Oh, you're so lucky to have done all this travel or to go work here and stuff like that." <laughs> and my wife would sit back and say, "Oh, yes, but you have a house." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah, kind of it all. Um, no, it's great, and I think it's very helpful to sort of even just share your own personal experience and story. And do you have any particular soft spots or favourites of the animals amongst the zoo? Do you want to um, bring out a couple of highlights? Um, uh, tell us about I, them. I, I say that I, I don't have favourites because then, <laughs> like the, children. then the keepers would get upset if I yes. said, you know, they know I've got favourites within the, the collection. Yes. Uh, I did my Masters on rhinos. Okay. So... If I've got a soft spot anywhere, it might be with rhino. And we have them in Monato, do we? have we? them at Monato. We've got both species at Monato. Okay, wow. But um, recreationally, I love seabird colonies. Ah, do you? Yeah. You know, just because they're so busy. Are they? Yeah. So yeah. they're fascinating to watch and they're yeah. always yeah, industrious. It's most like, like watching a fire. Yeah. You know, it just flickers away and, you know, mm. it just keeps you entertained. And hours. where do you like to go for that? Because obviously well, it's not in the zoo. That's almost a non-zoo th- there's animal. 
certainly Northern Hemisphere is much better for sort of, you know, seabird colonies. Yeah. And I've seen some great ones, you know, up on the Shetland Islands and, you know, you know, Northern England. Off oh, yeah, there. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to a, an island, called, it's called the Isle of Nos, and it's just off Lurik in Shetland Isles. And I, you had to sort of, you know, cross the harbour and then cross this other island, this Barrier Island, and then the Isle of Nos, we had to get this mm. little boat out there. And I was wandering around the island thinking, oh, this is fantastic. You didn't go in the centre because the skewers were in there trying to kill you. <laughs> but you're wandering around the outside of the island. I'm thinking it's great. And then we just turned the corner and hit the cliffs. Yeah. And it just almost knocked me over. Just the activity and the birds flying, you know, less than a metre from your face. Oh, wow. Wow. And were they in a certain season of um, nesting or hatching or...? It was towards the end of the breeding season, so we just missed the puffins. Mm, right, yeah. But it yeah. was still great to see all these other birds. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I think it is always interesting to watch them do their thing um and you really are just like a fly in the wall um so yeah that sounds fascinating and what is the role that zoos play um would you say well i I think there's there's a couple of roles and um you know the main role that zoos are probably pushing is you know that conservation sort of message Mm. um whether they're contributing to conservation by you know holding animals for um as an insurance population um, or whether they're actively out there doing the conservation work themselves, and a lot of zoos mm-hmm. are, have sort of, you know, pe- you know, fingers in the pies, you know, like field work, I guess, yeah, that's linked yeah. to the zoo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and but the big thing is about education. Yeah. You know, trying to build that connection between that particular species or that that animal or that niche of of the environment, you know, with the public. Mm. You know, so yeah. We're trying to sort of get across our message in, in so many different ways to, to get that, that connection with between the animal and the people and, and then they're going to be sort of, you know, promoting conservation in their own sort of, you know, way as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, I must say. I must say, you know, even just um, walking through the zoo this morning, it is just so inspiring and you learn about animals you never even knew existed and what they look like and what their status is um, of survivability. And it does make you feel... Um, motivated to want to look out for them and you know play a part in your daily actions so I, I think it definitely does play a role and even with my brother you know he was saying god I, I didn't, didn't know these guys were clearly endangered mm. um, so awareness and yeah. Um, yeah big role and I think seeing them in action and they all seem so well cared for they all look so happy and healthy and I love how they have the ability I guess um the good zoos have it where they can um go away they can hide they have their own timeout zone if they want it's, it's all about choice you, you can't yeah. actually sort of push an animal to do any particular behavior i think i think that's that's you know promoting a bad welfare you've got to give the animals choice and you know if you give it the, the right choices it will actually sort of do you know some things you want it to yeah. do and it's all about trying to get to you know display species appropriate behaviors as yeah. well it's quite a um philosophical question um with zoos you have that kind of mentality of um you know, thinking of the many, you know, like um, the the two lines here, um, you think, you know, they are ambassadors for hopefully helping the survivability of the lions out there in the wild. Yep. Yes, these guys might prefer to be out there, but maybe they've come to you by different means. Maybe they're unable to. Are a lot of the animals somewhat unable to go out in the wild? Have they come through from being injured or... Um, I don't. There would only be a small portion like that. Yeah. You know, most of them have been in the zoos, you know, or their ancestors have been in zoos for quite a long time. So gone are the days where they're really plucked from the wild. They're actually born into yeah. zoos yeah. and so, zoos... Um, so the lion, for example, they, you know, they may well have come into 
a zoo that particular line lions in the 30s or something like that and it's yeah and we try and you know manage the breeding so we don't promote inbreeding yes um you know um over that time so we'd have a sustainable population mm. in captivity yeah rather than have to go and source animals from the wild yeah you might get sort of you know um the odd animal that might come in to for you know rehabilitation purposes that can't be released mm-hmm. and that might sort of promote different genes and, and mm-hmm. help with that sustainability mm. but, but by and large you know most animals are you know bred in the zoo and stay in the zoo, I see, I see. The, the, and do you think that they kind of know different to the ones that are born in the wild or there's also uh, that question about sort of instinct nature and nurture you know there's certainly a lot of research about you know what changes go on yeah you know with animals in in captivity and I know there's been a, a research project in one species where they're looking at sort of the the brain size was actually changing from being in captivity. Oh, really? Um, in a short period of generations? They were looking was... at generations, yeah. Ah, and uh, which way did it go? Uh, I haven't seen the end results yet. Because I, I, I could I could kind of um, think either way, you know, I could almost... I think it was, the, the thing of the brain was getting smaller or less, mm. you know, um, convoluted, you know, like it was more simplified, the brain. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's like a, a brain plasticity thing. If you don't sort of use it, you lose it. Yeah, yeah. So I guess also a big part is um, mental well-being, not just the health side. Yeah. It also probably shows that maybe if you maintain an animal in captivity for too long, yeah, there's a lot more work to actually get it back into the wild. Yeah, or yeah. Or you, you expect, you know, there's a certain portion aren't going to adapt. Yeah, and that way it is more of an educational role, zoos, than that sort of idea of you know, breeding up and sending back into the wild. Yeah, there's, there are some animals that you have breeding populations that are for release. Yeah. Um, but there's there's very few that, you know, international ones like that. Yeah, yep. And I guess um, internationally, are you guys sending semen all across the seas to... Do you do a lot of artificial insemination? Or I guess with your size, you have to kind of limit your numbers um, and keep within quota and things. Well... Like I say, sustainable breeding, you, know, you want to breed okay. as much as you can to fill up the spaces, but you don't want to overbreed because then you, yes. what do you do with those extra animals? You, yeah. know, you know, they could get pushed into sort of, you know, lower welfare conditions or, mm-hmm. or overcrowding conditions. Yeah, and what's the reason um, for it? Yeah. yeah so we, we do have very, you know, tightly planned, you know, breeding sort of programs going yeah. on. Um, we do do a little bit of, you know, assisted reproduction, like, you know, uh, artificial insemination, but yeah. by and large... It must be tricky because... Did you, are they receptive, the wild animals that you inseminate, or...? By and large, we've really restricted that to things yeah. like... Um, uh, we've done some cheetah work, and we've yeah. done some um, uh, pandas. Yes. You know, giant pandas, if, if they don't breed, we try and sort of assist them. Yeah, because sort of I, I just learnt, didn't realise, that only 36 hours in a year, the female panda yes. is receptive. Is she in that phase soon? Is she...? No, it usually comes around about September. Okay. Is yeah. that when you're quite busy ultrasounding and trying to... No, no. The, Are you the, trying to get her pregnant, or? Oh, we were certainly trying to get her pregnant, and, and yeah. we we work very closely on behaviours to see sort of how yeah. they go, how they tracking, whether they're receptive or not. Yeah. Um, but we also, you know, map the the hormones down to the nth degree, mm. and that's where it sort of you know that confirms our oh, wow, our interventions. You know, yeah. I'm happy to, um, you know, introduce them, like put them together. Yeah. When we've um. You know, just on behavioural cues. Yeah. But if we're going to having to do a, an artificial insemination, which involves an anaesthetic, then I think we need something a little bit more objective, mm-hmm. like a, a hormone profile, to say yes, we're doing it at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much a, a, a scientist job, isn't it? Um, and always having to learn something new, I bet, because. Well, the interpretation of all that hormones, and and you know, you say we've got this 36-hour window. 
the 36 hour window usually you know we can't necessarily diagnose that 36 hours till we're about 12 or 18 hours in mm, just because of the you. lag time all the way yes. through like you know <laughs> you know you've got the 36 hour window that's that's viewable in the bloodstream yeah. but it needs to get into the urine that needs to get onto the floor it needs to get picked up to go onto the lab and, yes. and the whole sort of time lags all between those things and then the preparation for an anaesthetic yeah. means we're sort of, you know, we've really got an 18 hour window. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really very interesting to know the kind of fine detail of how it works. Um, and, you know, are there any big highlights in the sort of ZooVet calendar? I think you mentioned before there are some conferences. Do you go to international get togethers as well as local? Yeah, I, I think the Wildlife Disease Association is probably the big, you know, Australian ZooVet conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually in the later half of the year. Yes. Um, there is also one that's associated with the Australian Veterinary Association, a conservation biologist, or yep. exotic pets and pocket pet type one. Yes. I don't go to those ones yeah. know, so much. Um, sometimes there's some uh, bird conferences that we might sort of you know, mm-hmm. go to as well. And then there's some big international ones as well that we might try and get to every three or four years. Okay, yeah. It's hard to sort of you know, justify going overseas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you have a locum zoo vet that can come in? We <laughs> that's do. what I do. I locum, but yeah. no, I couldn't do this work, but... We do have a locum, and you know, at, at the moment we've got a couple of sort of you know short-term contracts that we've just filled because we have yeah you know because you want to break sometimes it must be well there is times which we try and sort of you know build it in so you know people can take time off and we we try and still cover yeah yeah three vets working on any one day so yeah. across two places so if we have one vet away at least you know there's a chance that we can still cover one vet at each site yeah yeah but you know then all the the paperwork stuff that you had lined up starts banking up. Yeah. Because you've got to concentrate yeah. on the create a monster. Stuff. <laughs> um, uh, so yes, we do have a, uh, some local, some casuals, um, and we have a couple of part timers as well that are able to pick up odd yeah. days here and there. So because it out. never stops a zoo, does it? Every it's, day. It's, it's still on weekends. It's still on yep. Christmas Day. Exactly. Yep. Um, all for the benefit of the animals. I do feel that, you know, even the zookeepers and um, uh, assistants I bumped into, they're also happy and pleasant um there's a really you know a good heart a good intention for people i think working here oh you know, i can't sort of doubt the, the motivation of the staff you know working yeah. this, this you know, field yeah absolutely and actually that leads me to my wrap-up question which is for you personally um in this field how do you stay inspired look i think um i think some of the things i've done you know you know helping out in any little way um you can't help but be inspired yeah you know yeah. there's being privileged enough to see all these these animals and 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 even in, in sort of the role I'm now where I'm sort of you know more the the, the senior vet and, and mm-hmm. in charge of the staff, you know giving the staff chance to actually sort of you know shine in their own particular way is also appealing. You can always you know you can take sort of uh, you know you can take some of their achievements as your own as well. Yeah, 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 and you can kind of see how it'll just continue on passing on knowledge and enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for um, giving me your time in your busy day. Thank you for meeting up again. Okay. Thanks for having me and uh, have a good uh, rest of your trip. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Bye. Thank you for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed, as always, and learned a few things about what is involved in being a zoo veterinarian and the work that zoos like Adelaide Zoo perform. As always, you can check out the show notes by simply scrolling up in the podcast app or going to my website, betchloe.com. And if you like this show, I'll be most grateful if you could tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It all helps. Or even follow me on Instagram at betchloe to share the adventures. 
Next episode will just have to be a surprise. I've made some serious tracks since leaving Adelaide as I'm now in beautiful Tasmania. My bro and I did the Great Ocean Road to Melbourne together, which was stunning and a lot of fun. We then parted ways when Layla and I caught the Spirit of Tasmania overnight ferry, which was a great way to travel. I have started my emergency vet locum here in Hobart for the next two weeks. Lots of wildlife inspiration on this unique island of Taz, so stay tuned for next week. Till then, stay kind and I'll see you at the next stop.